Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Romance and Color. I'm your host, Tati Richardson, and thank you for stopping by again this week. We have an amazing episode this week with urban fantasy author and paranormal romance author, Karma Kelly, who is also the founder of the Inclusive Romance Project, a group and collective of writers and people who want to write romance, who are dedicated to inclusivity and diversity. And I happen to be part of that collective. We talk about her founding Inclusive Romance Project, her work in the paranormal romance and urban fantasy space, and we talk about how her passion for DEI kind of flows into everything she does. So you all sit back, relax, and listen to this amazing episode with Karma Kelly, where I just have to give my girl her flowers. All right, stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week here at Romance and Color. Uh, I am here with a very special guest. I'm all cheesy and happy because I cannot believe in the course of doing this podcast. This is her first time coming on here, but she has been super instrumental in my uh, life as an author. And I'm going to try and get through this without crying. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. you. But I really, really am. But we have on the podcast, my friend, um, the one, the only Karma Kelly. Hi, Karma. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am good. I am good. And I am surviving this spring full of allergies. I'm doing good. Listen. (laughs) down you know down here where are you again I can't remember I'm in Austin oh gosh okay so you already know the trees Mm -hmm. and the and the pollen one minute it was hot then it was cold now it's kind of cool-ish well in Atlanta it's kind of cool-ish but the pollen is still there so it looks like it's like cold but pollen it's just the weirdest thing yeah yeah well well, we messed up and confused the hell out of the trees. So they don't even know what they're supposed to be doing. They right don't. Now. They don't. They're like, wait, it was hot. What happened? But anyway, um, glad you were here despite the allergies. Yeah. And so um, karma is a really super important person to me. Like I said, but we'll get all into that a little later. But I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everybody when they first come on to the podcast. What was your moment that you fell in love with romance oh man all right so I think the one that sticks out the most in my memory that I tend to share is so I had a best friend who lived two houses away from me when I was a kid and we were in our teens she was a little bit older in her teens I was still kind of 13 14 ish but her mom had a subscription that she would get like a bundle of romance novels like every Mm -hmm. month you know and she had them in this little case under her bed and so Mm -hmm. while other people and other kids was probably getting into some other trouble like look what I found like she was like look what I found is a bunch of these romance novels (laughs) yeah and so like she's she's sneaking them over to me and I read one uh, I were I read a western, and then I wrote I read a um, uh, fantasy historical like like paranormal, and mm-hmm. I read that, and I'm like, oh my 
goodness, this is awesome. Like mm. they have four books like this. And so, mm. you know, she's like, I, she kept like, she was my supplier, basically. My dealer. <laughs> she was my dealer. And uh, I would get to discover all these different, you know, novels that would be a mixture of Western and Regency and paranormal. And I really like stuck on to the paranormal a lot. And yeah, that, that back in my teens, that's how I knew that romance was my thing. It's it's got to, it, it, it hits all the notes, you know, <laughs> all the notes. So how did you move from being just a, you know, an addict of romance books to, I want to write a mo- romance. What, what was like, like the pivotal moment for you? Did you start writing as a teen? Did you start writing it in college? Like when was that kind of pivotal moment for you? So I always was a writer. Uh, I was writing well into my preteens, but what I did back then was really much less like humorous essays. I was I was a Mark Twain fan growing up, and so I read a lot of that, and I started doing a lot of humor humorous essays. And when mm-hmm. I moved, when I started moving into romance, is when I started reading it as a teenager, and I think when it starts to me crossing over to start writing it. I think it was like a lot of us, like we started reading books that we kind of felt like, "Mm, I probably could have done that a little bit better, or I would have done that a little bit differently. Once you start getting educated about some of the tropes and, you know, some of the beats and what what makes good storytelling, and and me also being a writer, it was almost a cinch, like at a certain point of me reading a lot of those paranormal romances and and stuff was like I could do that I want to try my hand at that right and so yeah like I I still have some of I still have one that I wrote when I was uh in high school and I wrote it by hand so yeah that's how old school it is and (laughs) I keep it to remind me of a of a time that once was right um mm-hmm. but I look at it and I read some of the dialogue oh my god dialogue was terrible <laughs> it, was, it was so bad but uh yeah that's how I got started with it of like I want to see something different in the stories and so I'm starting to put put that in that change in there and what inspired me the most like she's no longer with us but L.A. Banks was one of my first authors um, especially black authors who were writing about urban fantasy and paranormal romance Mm -hmm. and uh, my other friend um, his mom loaned me her books along with Miss Bev Jenkins books Mm -hmm. and that opened up my world even more and and just validating like you can expand on these different stories and us being melanated we can see ourselves in these stories and want to write those stories right for you seeing those people especially like LA Banks because yeah it was super validating like okay this yeah 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 Yeah, that time of her like I mean she didn't publish a whole whole lot Mm -hmm. but that time that she did publish was so prolific you know what I'm saying and I think it validated a lot of folks particularly black people who wanted to be in that kind of horror paranormal space yes. like we belong in this space too it's not just for them it's for us to yeah. bring our experiences into this and mm. make it relevant and stuff like that yeah 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 that's dope that's dope so I know that professionally you work as a DI 
um, person and BI consultant. And we'll get more into that. But because of that, I know diversity and stuff is important to you. Mm -hmm. When you first started writing romance and you are definitely a student of romance and you were seeking out, you know, honing your craft, Mm -hmm. was there a space for you when you started out where you were like, um, you know, there are people here that look like me. I want to write paranormal. I want to write urban fantasy. There are people here that can help me hone my craft. Was there a space for you? Or how did you kind of learn the tropes, the traits, and things like that along the way? Ooh, child. I wish wish there was a space. Uh, That's definitely some of the impetus about IRP there. Um, But no, unfortunately, I I did not have a space of like-minded writers who looked like me, who was able to continue on like the the support and the crafting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, it, it was very isolating for me to to yeah. to be frank. Um, it wasn't until um, several years ago when I moved up here to Austin mm-hmm. that um, I managed to find a handful of folk. Um, they did not look like me, but they wrote what I wrote. Um, right. So, you know, as I, I took it as I could um, because being in Austin too, like I'm in Texas, girl. Um, right, right. <laughs> the, the so South Austin is like make it weird, right? Yeah, like, the, the, like, yeah, and in the in the, the South is still very much segregated. So even though we got people that look like me out here for a while, it was kind of hard to find us um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, like, I, and, and that's why I tell folks that it's so important to find a community of of whatever sort when you're a writer, because it could be so isolating. And I remember that I didn't grow that much during that time when I didn't have a community, because you started writing things in a vacuum, right? And you don't really have that kind of validation or even like, like constructive criticism that you need in order for you to grow, And so I came here in Austin and I found a a couple of folks who were able to like, who read what I read and wrote what I wrote, was able to give me some feedback and help me tweak, you know, and a lot of it too was, thankfully, I'm still a reader of romance because reading itself does help you find out like what, what tropes are popular, like how did they write it that way? Maybe I could try writing that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it helped a lot once I started learning some of the things that you probably, I wouldn't say shouldn't do, but it's not that popular, right? Like, so uh, I'm I'm still uh, a notorious head hopper. I'm a lot better than I am, than I was when I first started writing. Right. Um, but now that I have a community that helps me understand like, you know, what, what that, what that really means, right? And what that looks like in your writing and how you can make that better. So, you know, yeah, like finding community, that's that's a tough one. Uh, but I'm thankful for those that are able to find one. Yeah, so true. So I want to get back to like talking about urban fantasy itself. Can you explain to like listeners what what's the difference when you say urban fantasy? Because I think people get it confused with urban, just urban fiction in general. Yes. Okay. Tell the tell people the difference between urban fantasy and say urban fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So urban fantasy. So urban fantasy is what I write, and what that genre is 
is it has a more finer line in relationship with paranormal romance than anything else. But think of it as basically fantastical creatures and world building in an urban setting. Mm -hmm. So the, the best examples are the ones of like TV shows that we grew up watching. So think Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, uh, Angel, yeah. uh, those type of items where you have vampires and witches and um, not the craft. What is it? The hey, show? Vampire Charmed. Diaries. Yeah, That's Vampire the- Diaries, Charmed. Yeah. Those are also urban fantasies where you have these fantastical elements of you know, uh, witches and, you know, otherworldly creatures, but they happen to be in a urban setting. And with or hollow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we Just like there. Abby. I'm I'm still butthurt about how Sleepy Hollow went down. <laughs> Every time I think about it, I'm like justice for Abby. <laughs> yeah. I need to make a t-shirt for that. And people would be so confused. When I get, oh, I justice for Abby. <laughs> yeah, but, let me not get started on that. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's more of bringing the paranormal into an urban modern setting versus exactly. urban thinking, which is oftentimes, I guess, labeled as Black. Yeah, uh, we can just call it what it is. We know that it's kind of low-key um, coded as, as Black. Uh, but we think of urban. Yeah, I've decided to just call it Black Mafia romance. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all it is. But you get Mm -hmm. the Mafia romance is get get movies like Three Sixty Five DNI versus you know Belly. You know Belly is good, but you know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've I've had I've uh, indulged in my fair share of urban fiction growing up too, because like I said, as we started growing up, like people started shuffling books around more and more. Oh. And like, you start also wanting to see, once you start seeing it, like open up your mind and you're like, wait, where's some more stories with, with bellinated folks in it? And then you'll start running into some urban fiction. And I'm like, all right, Warner, say that, you know? And so like, there's just room for all of it. Right. And so like, that's I think the urban fiction and the urban fantasy does get mixed up because of the urban part mm-hmm. a lot. But yeah, they're but too completely blended in stories before. Like I see the two kind of meshing into stories that are really, really good. You know, if you got some wrecks on that. I, I'll I'll come back to you. I, yeah. I it's escaping <laughs> me. But trust me, I, I have. So let me let me come back to you. Okay, me, okay, I got you. Um so when you said, okay, I'm moving from being a writer, I mean, being a reader to a writer, you found some space to kind of hone your craft. Mm-hmm. When it was time to write and you wrote the manuscript and everything, what made you decide, okay, I'm going to go the independent route versus trying to do traditional publishing? Because I ask everybody who's into that because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people think indie is the easy way out. And I just want you to iterate. It's not. Oh, <laughs> not, man, it's, it's not. not. So please <laughs> tell us why you went the independent route versus the traditional route. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, because every every self-published author's origin story is different from mm-hmm. that, that aspect. And so 
when when me when when I decided um to do it it really wasn't that big of a decision it was it's usually my go-to and so here here's how I kind of went down honestly so I had a book that I was twirling away with for years like seven years like it was a, a werewolf shifter book and I didn't really know what to do with it and so it's just kind of like moving around slowly in flux I decided to a friend of mine had recommended Wattpad for me it's like before you publish anything maybe you want to put a story out there and just see how your style gets picked up if anybody actually likes what you're putting down Mm-hmm. And I was way too sensitive to put my baby out there because I was like, I wouldn't, I wasn't ready to put it all out there like that. So yeah. what I decided to do is I was like, all right, I'll do a new story. And it was supposed to be a short story um, that was going to center around an office romance. And so I started writing it in Wattpad every week and I started gaining followers and people wanting to know what happens next. And child, I don't know what happened, but like after two, two or three months after that, I ended up writing a whole freaking book. Um, and (laughs) so then I'm like, yeah, so I'm like, okay. So like now, now what? Um, but I had got such good feedback from all of the followers that I had on Wattpad that they were interested. That was enough validation to say that, okay, I think I'd be ready to share it. Uh And I was familiar with both, you know, at that time, we kind of seen it as two narrow pathways, right? You either go trad or you either go um, self-publishing, but now there's so many other ways for you to publish than those two, right? It's a spectrum, like most things. Um, So I, at that time, I was already a small business owner. So that's one of the things that I had going for me. Right. Um, I already had a very thriving uh, wedding photography business that I did on the side. And I was used to pulling everything up by my bootstrap, so to speak. Right. Like I did my own marketing. um, I did my own kind of hustling and, you know, how I get the word out and all that. So once I found out pretty much by other folks who decided to self-publish, that all that really means is that you're just the owner of you're a small business owner, so to speak that you're, you know, uh, putting out your content and, you know, doing the marketing for it to get seen. And hopefully you get people who want to read it. I was like, okay, that's just seemed like it wasn't really a much of discussion for me. I was like, I could do that. I do that all the time with, you know, my wedding photography business. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't too afraid of that. But then of course, there's two different kettle of fish, right? Like doing a business in photography is very different than being, uh, a, a publisher and so they still right. was a lot of <laughs> growing pains that I had to get introduced to and I would say at that point when I was working to get my first book published I am very thankful like there's no one Facebook community that I can thank but it was a number of folks in Facebook at that time mm-hmm. um, must have been like six seven years ago that help that helped me kind of learn like some of the nuances of self-publishing and you know how do you grow your newsletter and tactics of building an arc team and getting your arc out there and trying to get reviews so you know that that part of making that decision wasn't a hard one because I wasn't afraid of 
owning everything because I've done that before. And uh, it was it was one of those things too that it wasn't my baby that I was publishing first. It was one that I kind of grew and fell in love with. So I felt like if I was putting this out there, I'm not putting my entire self out there. So if it drops flat, I'm not buckets of tears <laughs> broken inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A writer's heart is terribly fragile, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So when I when I put it out there and work through the publishing, there's so much that I've learned from that first time then the by the time that I actually did put my baby out, which was the second time that I had published. So yeah, it definitely was a learning curve. And I tell people like, it definitely is not an easy way out at all. There's so much to learn and still learning um, in self-publishing. And I'm a control freak, so I bring it on myself. Yeah. <laughs> But also, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to have a lot of skills under under my belt. So I already was a graphic designer. I already, you know, did some editing work previously. So those things were just part of the glue that, you know, kept me going doing publishing. Awesome. That's 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 true. We are very sensitive. <laughs> yes. And 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 if you're a control freak, you feel like I, I can see why the indie indie space would be better for you. Because like, look, I can control my emotions, I can control my feelings. If this this is only yeah. if, if something happened, if I did it. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Else. Yeah, yeah. If you if you all mess it up, like that's how I tell people all the time. Like you know, like if I get in my car and wreck it, you know, I'm just gonna be mad at myself. Mm-hmm. But if I let you drive my car exactly. and you wreck it. Well, we might feel differently about each other for a while. I mean, it ain't mean that it's over for us, but uh, I'm yeah. going to have thoughts. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a strained relationship for a minute. For yeah. A minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the first book, your first book that you really put out there mm-hmm. with all your heart, soul, and like marketing for yep. what was that book and how did that book kind of change your perspective on publishing? and self-publishing yes so thankfully you know I learned a lot when I published that first one so when I did do my second publication that was for my baby selenium night so that was the werewolf shifter romance that I had been toiling away for for years Mm -hmm. and putting out tall dark and deadly was the catalyst I think that I needed because now once I got the first one done, I'm like, okay, you know, I did a lot of lessons learned, how important marketing is before you launch, mm-hmm. reordering, putting yourself out there. Um, so when I released my second book, like did Selenium Night, I, I pulled out all the stops. I did blog tours. Um, I had my arcs, I already knew exactly how my arcs were ready. And thankfully from the first book, I had already built an arc team. So I was able to, you know, continue to grow that and, you know, generate that with my arc team, getting Mm -hmm. some good beta feedback. And so by the time it was for me, the pre-orders, I still had a lot to learn about the pre-ordering like pushes and marketing, but it like the difference between my pre-order sales from Tar, Dark, and Deadly 
to Selenium Night was a huge chasm, you know, huge difference. Mm -hmm. So I definitely was doing something right after what I've learned from Tall, Dark, and Deadly. And uh, man, it was just so, it was such an awesome experience to actually have that book in my hands. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have that feeling, right? That excitement when we get like the book, like the physical book. Um, and what Selenium Night, it was different, a little bit more impactful than Tall, Dark, and Deadly, because this was the book that I've been toiling away for years, and I didn't think I ever was going to have it done, you know, right. and to have it, like, ready and in my hands, and then, like, trying not to watch Goodreads and Amazon for the reviews, but at the same time, still want to look, Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it it felt it felt great. Like such great feedback, and the reviews kept like pouring in, and I felt like I was seen. And man, that that was definitely the the experience that told me like I want to continue to do this. I can continue to do this. Wow, that's awesome! Like yeah. I just I remember when you were kind of showing us the this. The, the process of you going through publishing that and stuff and I was like wow this is wow like she's really doing all of this I was so <laughs> amazed I was like gosh she put on she put her like I was I was like I was scared for you because I was like oh my god what if what if nobody read it <laughs> I know everybody's fear right what if nobody yeah. read it but how do you how do you tap into who your who you know your audience is going to be is it the world building is it the it, I thought it, is it the world building is it the characters how do you know what how do you know what's going to reach that audience of folks that are like suckers for the thing that you do yeah like so I I attract a lot of world building junkies um mm -hmm. and which is what I was hoping for because that's that's really what I spend most of my time on like the characters kind of speak for themselves like literally it's kind of scary like they come up in your head and they're like hey we're gonna do this and <laughs> yeah. they you just kind of do it right um but they also ask like well where the hell am I gonna do this and that's when I have to come in and create this you know wild strange world that somehow mimics a little bit of our world but you know not quite Right. Um, right. And I enjoy doing paranormal romance and urban fantasy because it gives gives a little distance to my social commentary about mm -hmm. a lot of things going on in the world mm -hmm. to where it doesn't feel so personal and close that putting it in a extravagant world um, that's like different from ours in a fantastical way gives me some room for me to uh for lack of a better word preach without being preachy right, right. and so um to really kind of share some of that um some of the things that I have started unpacking about myself in the world because we do that as writers and like give myself some room to put it out there and share it with the world without it being so personal that, that brings up another question how do you because like you say you want to kind of distance your own personal 
beliefs a lot of times particularly because because mm-hmm. you're selling the fantasy part of the story and right. and it's, it's so too real how does how this fantasy right <laughs> um, but how do you bring in like that cultural context into the storytelling the the, the personal experience without getting getting away from let's say the romance part of the story or mm-hmm. even the um the paranormal part of the story how do you kind of bring in those cultural aspects and things that you find important about your experience mm-hmm. without taking away from those elements that make urban fantasy or make paranormal so special that's a real good question i will go to i will start with saying that i always believe that there's a, a, a fantasy world in the fantastical creatures and myths make the best metaphors for humanity that I can ever really think of. I mean, we can make these characters so humane without looking a certain way, right? And we already know what that's like in the world of somehow people can't see our humanity because they can't get past all of this, all of your face shit, right? Right, right. Um, And so- playing around with that um, has been helpful. And I say like, so for Selenium Night, one of the things I was working through in that theme of that book was family and how family dynamics can tear down a community, can be as big as tearing up a community Mm -hmm. and also the validity of building your own family. And so having that, so with the with the wear shifters in that book, um, they were uh, there's actually two species. There's two races of uh, these wear shifters, and they were created by two different goddesses, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to always have that us versus them mentality. But then you know over time too, you also have these families and these groups of communities of the same type of werewolf kind of grouping together. And some of them had clans that were completely destroyed and there's only a handful of them looking for a place to call their own. And then like Aiden's character, which is the lead character in Solidium Night, he was abandoned at a young age and nobody knows who his parents are. So he was therefore kind of adopted by the alpha couple and the rest of um, that community. But the whole time he's thinking that he is not part of that group because he wasn't born with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're seeing too that his stepsister loves him just like as fiercely as any other sister would love her brother. Right. Uh, But then you have his, his foster brother who sees him like he sees himself, that he is a foreigner he doesn't really belong with this clan he doesn't need to be here and mm-hmm. so like I liked it I enjoyed playing with that in that fantastical world of what family really means mm-hmm. um, it is not just necessarily the title that you're given when you're born in someone's family right. but someone can pull you and become your family wow yeah wow I guess yeah yeah right and so you can yeah. play with that with you know that that kind of mentality and that world of of wear shifters 
And in the same time, ba like balancing that with him going out in the world and finding someone like Maddie, who is the, the, the femme lead, who, you know, wants to also bring him in as if he's family and him feeling very confused of his like worthiness and does he deserve to be a part of such, you know, good people in his life considering his past. And that is when I was starting to help people unpack and I was unpacking myself that you are not your behaviors and your past, you can change, is capable of change. I wouldn't do the DEI work that I do now if I didn't believe people were capable of changing. Absolutely. So I liked, I enjoyed putting that together. And I think as long as I am able to find something that ties back to our humanity we can always tether that with like the romantic arc mm. in a fantastical setting. It just takes intention, you know? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. So also talking about cultural aspects as well in in urban fantasies and in, in, in fantastical settings, how are you able to do that and avoid, say, tropes or stereotypes in order to get folks to like relate to the work because I, I know I know for like some let's say a lot of YA that's been out there that's been a lot of mainstream we mm -hmm. see how they use black and indigenous experience as stand-ins for you know the plight of this white person mm -hmm. in the story and we can see it we we can see it yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you ain't really coding as much as you think you are. Right. You didn't really hide this as well as you thought you did. Mm -hmm. But how can you avoid doing falling to that trap and still able to tell a story that's relevant without, you know, without playing into these stereotypes? Yeah. Susan Collins, we saw it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, okay. yeah, you saw it, girl. <laughs> oh, there's just so many offenders. So many. I offenders. know, I know. I, I have to call her out by herself. <laughs> I, yeah, I would. Uh, I would say that for for us, like for the melanated writers and authors out there, for us, we're just. I'm just trying to normalize us being in places because we deserve to be there mm. we're human we're gonna be there we deserve to be there mm. um I think in terms of watching out for stereotypes um one is why I enjoy so I had some unlearning to do like mm. I'll be straight up transparent at the very beginning in writing self-publicated self-published um content there was a lot of things going around of like mm, diversity is not really going to sell you need to you know start putting some white characters in and so mm -hmm. at the beginning like my my first two books the white characters was pretty much coded black like anyone who didn't who didn't know me and had read it they're like I was confused and I was mm -hmm. like yeah they had the look but it was my personality I mm -hmm. did the reverse and shifting them and making them appear white but mm -hmm. everybody was reading it was just like this I don't know this is a little weird and so right. I had to grow out of that you know because 
man, white supremacy is a programming mofo. And so wow. once I've done that, then it gave me, you know, the freedom for me to just write my characters how I want to write them and just have them being in these fantastical settings, just being like, mm-hmm. it was, it was one thing I had to to unlearn too, which I'm hoping that more melanated authors are thinking as well, is that there's a way that stereotypes and white supremacy play into fantastical settings and creatures, because we feel like when we want to make a black character appear superhuman, we give mm. them white features. Mm. Mm. And, mm. you know, and so we we need to ask ourselves, like, do do they really have to have blue eyes because they're a witch? Um, they could still have brown ass eyes and <laughs> still be badass. Um, right. Even if you want them brown eyes to glow, they could still do that too. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but th- those are those things that are very pervasive that can sneak up, even from melanated authors like us who have been awashed in anti-Blackness and colorism and texturism our whole lives, right? Some mm-hmm. of that comes across in some of our writing. Oh my Another, gosh, thank you for that. Thank you for that yeah. transparency because I don't think enough of us need to hear that we too can play into that, into yeah. this white supremacy in, 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 in our writing and it will seep through in, in, in different ways. Like It does. It does yeah yeah it, it, it's it's wild it's wild yeah, yeah i tell you i tell people it's like that program is strong so it's like when when mm-hmm. people and that's why i love us as writers and you know people and you know readers won't ever get this and that's okay that's not their job to get it mm-hmm. but you know as we read through our books over the course of our career there's more than just the characters and the style that change it's how we view the world also changes if we're doing some internal work, right? Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things that happen and that none of us are immune to getting caught out there. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was working on one of my upcoming novels and uh, there was uh, a, a critique partner who mentioned that I had something problematic about an Asian character in, mm. in, my, in my story. And for me, that was important because that was a put up or shut up situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like I tell people all the time as a DEI consultant, how they need to behave and how they need to react when you get called out or called in. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened to me, I was like, oh my God, like I felt like the world was kind of crumbling because I didn't expect that I would be somebody who would do something like that. But then I had to pull it back and said, okay, I don't know everything. This person trusted me enough to let me know that there was something problematic about their community and my content. Mm -hmm. And so I thank them for letting me know that. And if they wanted to give me some more insight on why that is, that's fine. If not, that is also fine. I was fortunate enough to have other um, authors from the Asian community that was willing to help me look at it and point out what the the problem is and also how to fix it, right? Um, And so I just, as we see so much of authors behaving badly about this kind of stuff, 
Yes. You, you can you can totally do it. Like, yes, it doesn't feel great. And yes, you know, uh, you you made a mistake, but you can also fix it. And fortunately for me, like I was in the midst of writing it. I hadn't published it yet, which is all the more reason why you need to be comfortable exposing some of your work early on in the process to different communities to get a read of how your characters and your characterization is going in your work. Otherwise, once you publish it, then it's up for the world to make your narrative now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you haven't done the due diligence to to really parse through it and see if there are anything problematic. And then you put it out there, bam, it's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. And it's like you can't take it back now. I mean, especially, <laughs> especially if you've already got it out there trying to take it down, republic. Oh Lord. That's a lot. That's a, a lot. lot. That is a lot. So now you're on like, what are you on your fifth book now? Sixth book? I'm on my seventh book. See, I was close. Yeah, you were close. (laughs) Forgive me, it's been a long week. Oh no, I don't don't sometimes I gotta go back. I gotta go back to my website and count. I forget. (laughs) It was close. It was close. How do you what is the process like for you now with writing? I know you're still doing your your own your day job, but what is the process like writing and and when you get like a block or you're in the weeds like how do you come out of that oh yeah so you know I have I have some time that I block off in the afternoons like in the evenings I'm a I'm a night owl I work best mm-hmm. best work at night um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have at least an hour blocked off now whether I use it to like sit down and sprint or use it for like research time may differ depending on what I'm working on and what I feel like. Cause I'm neurodiverse. I have ADHD. So I give myself a lot of level of grace on what I'm going to tackle each day as far as writing goes. Mm -hmm. But my day kind of like my, my writing adventure kind of looks like the first couple of days that I'm, I'm working on um, a, a new literary work. It's, you know, just putzing around, you know, doing some brain dumps um, and then trying to formulate what my world is going to be like and what some of the rules of the world is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then from there, then I'm also a non-linear writer. So I might not necessarily start with the beginning chapter. I'm usually sometimes start in the middle of the book and, you know, write out some pretty strong scenes that gives me the impetus to continue writing more scenes. And so what I do to keep moving fast is I'll write these strong scenes and the connector scenes aren't really interesting to me. So I put them in brackets, the little summary of like, they do this and then like, keep it moving, right? Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much my process. And as a, you know, having my day job, um it's it's not that it's not that bad just because like I I aim everything in the evenings and mm-hmm. afternoons and um yeah it's it's a when it comes to the research part now that one is the one that I'm likely to spend yeah. over an hour you go down a rabbit hole yeah. yeah you don't know what you're looking at you you're looking for something you're looking one thing up and then you just you learn something new every day, Tati. <laughs> you know, Wikipedia for like three hours. Like, oh, Can I just be on Wikipedia. 
you didn't found your way to somebody's podcast now now you a fan you just <laughs> yeah 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 i know how that is yeah oh my god yeah and then you get nothing done nothing's written you just say that just like oh i didn't write nothing for six hours <laughs> <laughs> nothing so even with all this it, you found the time to start and we mentioned it briefly in the beginning um the inclusive romance project tell mm-hmm. us how that um came about i mean i know but tell the people how it came <laughs> about <laughs> and um you know what your kind of motivation for starting it was yes so my motivation um to kind of call back to what we were talking about earlier is I really missed having a a really good, deep community on writing. Once Mm -hmm. I started realizing when I would meet with a couple of other fellow writers, I would, I don't know, being around uh, writers to me, you get this energy, like Mm -hmm. you get this writer energy. You start talking about writing people, you know, write, they kind of get you. And then once you sit down, you're like, I don't feel like writing today, you know? Mm-hmm. So I like that high, right? And so <laughs> yeah. when it got to, you know, there was lots of different things that was going on. I was part of an organization. I'm not going to give it any any wind, um, but they had a Austin chapter and it just wasn't giving me what I needed. And I wanted something more. And when I looked around, there really wasn't something more. So I was like, oh, well, hell, I'll see if I create it and see if some other people want to come along. And, you know, wanted to start, it started as a critique group. And we were just going to meet every month, put some, you know, so uh, submissions in, everybody reviews, leave some comments, some feedback, things that are going to help them. And uh, I did that around 2019 before the, the pandemic kind of wreaked habit over our lives um, <laughs> and turned the past two years into seven years. Uh, it but, doesn't feel uh, like that. It feels like 2019 feels like it was five years, child. Um, yeah, so I I reached out and I didn't want to create a physical group because I didn't I didn't want to hustle to find a, a place that everyone can meet. And uh it just made sense for us to be virtual because it's more inclusive that way. People who are all over might have things going on immediately after work, got travel stuff. I mean, they can still pop in in their pajamas if they want to, they can still participate. Mm-hmm. So did that virtually. Um, a lot of things closed down with the pandemic. And so I think word of mouth and Twitter just started growing some more folks to be a part of the group. And I was like, I want this space because all the things that were going on within that uh, that organization that I'll bother not naming, uh, they were looking for, you know, the people who were leaving were marginalized folks and wanted a space that was safe so they can continue writing and putting their books out. And I'm like, that's not a hard ask. It's not a difficult ask at all, right? Right. So put that together and just have people coming on Slack. I put up the Slack group and before I knew it, just more and people started to come. And also one of the things that our community really could benefit from is a mentorship program. Mm 
Yes. And so I had ran a mentorship program in the corporate world. So I know how it works, but, um, you know, I was really bummed out when, you know, a couple of mentorship, romance mentorship programs kind of fell off during all of that implosion mess. And so I decided that I was going to try it, try it out and see if it worked. Now, I I tell people this then and I tell them that I had no idea that it was actually going to kick off, right? Yeah. Because it really was heavily dependent on people willing to be mentors. Yeah. And I, for all intents and purposes, is a virtual nobody in the romance space. And so I reached out and just kind of asked, this is what I want to do. I want to do a mentorship program. I wanted to prioritize black, brown, queer, disabled, and other marginalized folks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they can learn the ropes about getting their work out there, having a support system. So no one feels building all this stuff alone, you know, building their work alone in a in an isolated setup. This is how we grow, would have people around us. And say, so like, are is anyone interested? And being a mentor, I'm going to do it for six months and sign up. Oh, and well, Tati, I was I was blown away. I I think I cried for a good bit in yeah. seeing how many authors were willing to do that. Like, yeah, yeah, they they, they came they came through. Uh, yeah. The romance authors came through, and yeah. such a great mix of tenure and knowledge and the different like aspects of publishing they were all on board and so that was my sign from the universe that this was meant to be honestly. absolutely and I, <laughs> I and I am look I'm a testament to it in the program because <laughs> I went through it I think I found inclusive IRP like Inclusive Romance Project on Twitter. Like when I started to get serious about, yeah, I want to write romance. Mm-hmm. I forgot who it was that brought me. It might have been either Amory or Fortune Waylon, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Look, I got there's this group. I think you really need to join if you want to know about romance and blah blah." blah. <laughs> I was like, "Okay," because I had I I too had been floundering in other groups, and it just didn't feel right. I felt even though I'm 44 years old. Well, at the time I was, I was younger than that. I was 40. Had just turned 40. I felt like I was too young. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm too young in here. Nobody understands my voice, which is what it really was. Nobody's understanding my voice. It had really nothing oh. to do with age. It had everything to do with who I was culturally and my my my, my background. Yeah. So she said, "Come on, join this group." I said, "Okay, you know what? What's the, what's there to lose?" And then I end up finding all these people and friends and all this stuff. And I think I was in like the either the second was that the second cohort or whatever. You yeah, uh, you're I don't in remember the girl the time. I don't, I don't remember now. But um, I think what you did was you really did a good job of pairing people with with people that you was like I want to be on this same trajectory in my career. Mm-hmm. So you pair people with the right people, and I got paired with Kilby Blades um who is awesome it's traditionally published and um she does some indie stuff too but she's but she's hybrid which is what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. and so she really helped me through the mentorship program it helped me get my raggedy manuscript together (laughs) 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 together because it was raggedy it was really raggedy and um and I've told this story since had doing interviews and stuff and promo for the 
for the debut, but I was like, yeah, I didn't know. I, you know, I, you know, as a student, you want to learn the mechanics of things. And when I got serious, that's what I did. I said, I need to be in a group where I can learn the mm-hmm. mechanics of things and how to do things. And IRP was that I learned about the more, I knew about tropes, but I didn't know all about all the tropes. So yeah. it was really a learning process for me. Um, and not only that, having the critique groups, having the, um, you know, the people that just bounce ideas off of like, hey, I got this crazy idea. How does it sound? And nobody judge you for it yeah. was like an amazing, amazing thing and amazing space. And I am like forever grateful because I don't know if I would be where I am now if, if it wasn't for the group and for what you started. So I'm just going to give you your flowers now and say thank you oh, because thank I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'd still be out there floundering, still trying to figure out how to do you know, pitch events or how to do uh, writing query letters and how. To, and then on top of that, y'all, Karma brought in people to come in and do workshops for us because yeah. she's in the DEI space. She took that same type of knowledge, same type of energy, and and brought it to the romance and and writing space to have us, you know, get these workshops, get this knowledge, you know, from people who are willing to share and willing to give their time to us as writers and like I'm forever grateful for the things that I learned because I just really would not if it was without IRP I would not do it so I'm going to sing the praises of the group forever forever in a day (laughs) thank you tell tell them tell people who if they're interested in IRP or interested in the mentorship program because I know this this year's closed right so when are we doing the next round and how can we how can people get involved Yes, yes. So we are always open to take in new members. Mm-hmm. Um, our website is inclusiveromanceproject.org. And uh, if you want to just be a member and kind of soak in the, the vibe of the community and meet folks like Tati and, and all the others, uh, we we are definitely welcoming to you. And you know, a, a contrary to most people's like beliefs or don't quite understand, like the community is open to everyone as mm-hmm. long as you are the understanding that the marginalized members are our priority. So mm-hmm. if you want to be on board and you want to help support them as well while you're supporting uh, the rest of the community, feel free to join us. And yeah, we have a annual uh, mentorship program that we run. So we kicked this, uh, we we started taking up mentors. Uh, we had our mentor application that had recently closed. So now we're taking in mentee candidates. So we have what we, what we need for um, the romance mentors. But from now um, until the end of this week, April 15th, we mm-hmm. are taking applications for mentees. So if you are an aspiring romance author um, that was interested in, in participating, you can. If you miss this year, no worries. We'll be back again uh, same time around in April is when we start um, opening up our application process um, for mentors and mentees. And yeah, it's it's stories like, that is from you, Tati, and uh, the folks who have, you know, talked to me and shared how much that the mentorship has helped them and meant to them is 
that's 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 food for me that's that's life food for me definitely because it, I want to know how many I want to know if you're keeping a running record of how many people who've been in the program have actually been published and or gotten deals I think you need to keep a record I do need to do that um yeah record so you get, it'll be like see it's successful <laughs> It does work. I know I, I do need that job because sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Is this doing anything? Like, is this thing on? I mean, uh, I, can, I can name I can name three people right off the top of my head right now. Me, Fortune, yeah, Fortune. Noreen. That's yeah. three people. Yeah, all right. That's right. All right. I like that. <laughs> that feels good. Yeah, I got to dig more. <laughs> I think you need, I'm giving you homework. I think you need to homework. You know, a what? survey out there. And, and, and then yeah <laughs> and put it on the website see these well, folks yes i'm gonna definitely want to do an alumni website so uh web page to have y'all lovely faces in y'all books on there yeah I, and when i get another I, I, I said i'm gonna be a mentor if i get another book under my belt because i don't just one book i can't mentor nobody with no one book let me get another book under my belt and then i'm gonna come back as a mentor because i was like okay then i know I know what to do. I hold you there. I stalk you. <laughs> I know you will. I know you will. I don't even want to pull up, pull up in your DMs. I'm looking for a mentor, Tati. I know. I know you're going to do it. I don't even want to. I don't even, even want to pretend like I don't know. I know you're going to do it. So, okay. This is, this is the fun part of the interview. Like the rest of it hasn't been fun, but this is the part where I ask you all kind of weird questions. Okay. And you give me your first um answer off the top of your head. Oh, okay. Okay. So do you like writing heroes or villains? Villains. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> what was your favorite book as a kid? Favorite book as a kid? Ah, uh, Miss Nelson is missing. Oh my god. Me too. The whole, <laughs> I bought the whole series for my baby. Oh yeah. my god! I thought I was the only one who, who went up for that book. That uh, I was a fan. Oh my god! <laughs> Nelson is missing. I oh always god. loved me a book with a twist. That was yes. <laughs> I love that book. Oh my god. Um, do you like writing love scenes or dramatic arguments? Hmm. Now oh, they're both fun, but. Uh, love scenes love scenes actually top out okay your favorite place to write favorite place outdoors as long as it's outdoors hmm. okay yeah okay um okay I think you answered this but book reviews do you read them or not read them I've changed so much I, I if I need if I need a little pick-me-up uh, I'll read some of the ones that I know that have some decent ones, but I don't read the whole list. Okay. okay. So I don't know what that answer is. So I'll, I'll read them. I'll read them. So the answer is sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The last romance novel that you read. Last romance novel. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> it probably does. What is it? It was Skin of the Sea. I don't think that's really romance because I haven't finished it. It's got a little romantic element. Uh, it's got a romantic overtone. Oh, yeah, but not. it's not. 
just straight romance. That's okay. Yeah. Um, if you do you write to music? And if so, do you have playlists for everything that you write? Yes, yes, I do. All that's yes. I make my own. I make a playlist for every piece of work that I write. <laughs> and we also have an inclusive romance project playlist too, y'all. We do. We do. We do. <laughs> Everybody adds the music that kind of pumps them up and gets them going. So we add songs in there. I got a lot of ratchet songs on that. I can't lie. I All love it. Songs are ratchet. Like- you so, can learn so much from folks about the music they listen to. <laughs> yeah, all my stuff is ghetto and ratchet. I'm not gonna lie. Um, is there a favorite word that you listen to in your right? I mean, that you write use in your writing. Favorite word. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for the longest time, uh, for reals was was yeah. I, I, it was always something that would end it. Like I would have like at least one character that the period of the sentence would always pretty much be for reals. And I remember last time my editor was like, they, they don't need to sign off their word every time with for reals. I was like, I don't know. That just, it just kind of, it just kind of ends the sentence. I just, <laughs> we all got wacky things. Don't judge. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. If one of your books became a movie, who would you want to play the lead? So I have a urban fantasy that has strong romantic elements um, called Kiss of the Fallen. And mm-hmm. it's about a black demon who kills vampires. And I would love that to be a movie. And the actress who plays as Mazakine in Lucifer would be perfect. Mm-hmm to play the character um that yeah either that um I can't think of anyone else but yeah that's the one that I would want to play okay um do you know what are some of the hardest things for you to write in books like what's the hardest themes to write in books the hardest part is it's a it's a toss-up between like dramatic arguments and uh death scenes Mm. Mm. the death scenes and like I write, I write dark urban fantasy and dark paranormal romance. So somebody's always getting, you know, getting kicked over. Yeah, the, the bucket slash slash. Right. Uh, how right. we say in TikTok, unalived. Unalived. Yes. Unalived. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I save those. I save those for last because I do get real attached to my characters. So. When it's time to write like the the death scene, um, that those are a little hard because that means they're going by and I can't bring them back. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Um, where do you see or where would you like to see romance novels go in the next like decade? Oh wow, I would definitely love to see a time where queer romance is far more normalized it's not such a big deal 
Hmm. You see this all the time. I would love to see a different combination of happily ever afters and what that looks like for disabled folk. Mm-hmm. Um, because that looks different for everyone. One of my uh, most popular threads on Twitter uh, is I've actually asked the disabled community of Twitter, those who read Romance of Light, what does make an optimistic ending for you that's also realistic and doesn't feel like it's you know, painting, you know, disabled community with a big brush. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times people are thinking like for those who are in chronic pain, it's not like the love magically dissolves their chronic pain, right? Uh, But they still deserve something that feels optimistic. So what does that look like, right? And so we don't all have the answers to that. I feel like sometimes the romance community isn't ready to touch these deeper conversations, But I hope that we do in a part and start letting the genre expand and grow as it should, because we are expanding and growing as human beings. We're realizing some of us are are awakening to a different spectrum of sexuality and gender and all these things, right? And so I'm hoping to see that reflected in romance more and to the point that a lot of it is is normalized and not sensationalized you know like we we know that people are living this way and it's okay (laughs) yeah absolutely um when it's all said and done and you've written like 500 more books and you've had like 100 more (laughs) success stories come out of IRP (laughs) what do you want people to say about the work that you've done in the genre Man, this is introspective. You said you're gonna give me light stuff. <laughs> I ain't got no whiskey. I thought this was like fun games. Uh, no, no, it's like I, I would, I would hope that they said that I was a good storyteller and mm-hmm. I made stories that help them be seen. Mm-hmm. and help them understand a little bit more about the world, a part of the world that they didn't know. Yeah, um, I hope that, you know, that I've inspired some folks to continue to write and go after their publishing journey. And, you know, they can choose to, you know, get a seat at a, at a table or they can flip that shit and they can build their own table mm-hmm. however they want to see fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's what I hope that it that I leave behind is some good stories that people remember and the belief that their writing deserves to be seen and they have stories to tell. So tell them. Absolutely. I know for me, I'll, I just want to say that I'm definitely going to, you know, flip shit over in your in your name <laughs> um, I'm gonna continue writing because you definitely have pushed me um, to continue to write and continue to explore and continue to grow and stretch as an author and a person um, so for that I say thank you 
<laughs> uh, and you know, side note, like straight up, it has been such an honor seeing folks grow. Like I know that sometimes you can't really see it when you're, it's hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame, right? Mm-hmm. But folks who knew you win, like when you first yeah the IRP and yeah. you had like your sometimes confidence struggle yes. and realize that you actually were really awesome and your work is awesome and you yes. start putting out there and then you got signed so just I see I do this work for this community because I get the joy the honor to see y'all grow to see your trajectory like change and so I hope like even in the community sometimes a lot of folks are quiet but I hope that there's a time like if anyone in the in the community is feeling like they're not moving anywhere they're not making any progress maybe just ping me and ask because I see it I see change throughout the whole time in the you know in the community and with the you know mentorship program so I'm here to tell y'all, y'all are making great moves. And even though it might seem like the move isn't, you know, moving as much as you would like, like yeah. in, the, in the grand scheme of things, I'm seeing the whole picture and you're growing just right. I'm very proud of you, Tati. Girl, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to get off this thing. So anyway, <laughs> where can we find your books and where can we find you Karma Kelly on social media and tell us about any other links and next projects that you have lined up. Yeah, yeah. So I am always on Twitter. Um, You can find my books at any of the online retailers, Zazan, Bars and Nobles, that whole spiel. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, if you want to reach out to me, you could probably find me on Twitter very easily. Uh, like I said, our website, the inclusive romance project.org. You can always shoot me an email there. Um, and for me, this year is my goal to regrow my readership because mm-hmm. during the pandemic and onboarding the IRP community, I kind of just slacked off on maintaining a, a, a readership and a reading mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to build that back up. And with that, um, I did release a book late last year that I just wanted to get it out of the way, but I am going to start to promote it more and see if I can get more interest in it. And that's Steve of Hearts, uh, which okay. is my historical paranormal uh, romance, which is set in the 1960s of Las Vegas. Yes, and I we got a chance to, in IRP to read some of it when she was working <laughs> on it. Y'all, it's so good. Like, it's so good. Please, please go out there and get it. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, my God. Okay, thank you so much, Carmen, for coming on. I really appreciate it. This has been wonderful. And you know, I love you. And love you I wish you and IRP and everybody involved, but especially you, so much success. Same to you. Same to you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I want to thank author Karma Kelly for coming on to the podcast and gracing us with all of her wisdom. Again, if you all are interested in writing romance and being a part of an inclusive 
collective where you're educated and learn things or maybe even are interested in the mentorship program, go on over and go to Inclusive Romance Project's website, which is inclusiveromanceproject.org. And if you want to know more about Karma and all of the work that she does, as well as all of her books, which she's like on number seven now, as she says, then look her up everywhere under Karma Kelly and the information will be in the episode description. Once again, I am your host, Tati Richardson. Thank you guys for stopping by. And you can learn more about us here at Romance and Color on our Instagram, which is Romance in Color with a U, or on our Twitter, that's Romance, the letter N, and Color with a U. And once again, my book, The Build Up, is out right now, available in audiobook and at every major retailer possible. And if you want to know more about me, just visit my website, TatianaRichardson.com. You guys take care and we'll see you all next week with another amazing interview from another amazing creative. Take care. Bye.